Thank you so much for joining us today. We're glad that you're listening. As always, be sure to give us a like on Facebook at Southern Hills United Methodist Church. And be sure to check out our website at www.shumcokc.org. Glad that you're listening today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Wherever and whenever you are, I'm glad that you're worshiping with us today. And I am excited um, because we're starting something new this coming Wednesday. Now, last Wednesday, we had a back to church fellowship meal right here in the ministry center, and it was great to see so many people who were able to join us for that. This coming Wednesday, we have um, restructured the way that the gathering works, taking some of the things that we loved from before and then combining those with some new ways of doing church that we've been living into post-pandemic. And so I'm very excited about what that entails and what it's going to look like. Um, I want to encourage you to put this on your calendar to participate in, especially if you've never done anything like this before. Um, Interestingly, we're working on pioneering ways to make this possible for you to participate wherever and whenever you are. So, if you happen to be here on the, the campus of Southern Hills this week, we'll start our, our evening on Wednesday night with a meal at 5.30, right here in the Ministry Center. I think this week uh, I was told that we're doing uh, tacos, um, like Spanish rice and black beans or something like that. We always get calls, or we used to, when we had the gathering, people would call and say, hey, what's on the menu for tonight? So I'm telling you now, that's what's on the menu for this coming week. And then it's like Italian, I think, the week after that. Um, Last week we did hamburgers and hot dogs. They're all going to be in pre-packaged to-go containers, so you'll walk in and pick one of those up and then be able to go down and sit at a a table with people that you want to sit with. Uh, So we'll do that from 5.30 to 6.30. But at about 6.15, I'll get up here and say, all right, now would be the time uh, for children and youth to go next door to the education and administration building, get them checked in, because next week we begin our Wednesday evening children and youth ministries again. I'm very excited about this. I told you weeks ago that I wanted to work with you to move toward relaunching our children's ministry program in particular, and we have. We've had a great group of people who've put in some good ideas. We've we've put resources into people and into places and into preparation. So we have a wonderful family ministries team. They've been working really hard to set up some sacred spaces that are dedicated to our children's ministry program. They've been decorating them uh, all week long. So now we have dedicated space for pre-K and kindergarten, first and second grade, third and fourth grade, fifth and sixth grade. They're going to start using those spaces on Wednesday night. We have a curriculum that's kind of similar to what we did during vacation Bible school. So about 6.15, I'll say, all right, now's the time to go check in for children and youth. You can go and check your children in. You can stay put if you have no one to check in. And then come back and sit around your, your tables right on the same spot. We'll begin with a time of of singing and praise. Um, Our praise team is going to uh, play some some music for us that's kind of a combination of some newer songs that we love to sing in this service and some of the older songs that we like to sing in the other service. So I'm excited about that. I was talking with uh, Dr. Keats in between services today about how that's going to work. We'll uh, have a video transition, and then we'll pray together, and that will kick off a time of guided discussions around your tables. Those discussions will be guided by a series of prompts. I'll give you some questions. You'll have a a few minutes to talk about them. We'll start with an icebreaker. We did a really fun icebreaker last week. At least I had a good time with it. Uh, Watching you all do that was a blast. We've got another one ready for this week, so we're going to have a good time with that. Now, here's the thing. If you participate in our virtual campus, 
our AV team, which is led by Devin Kutenbecker, has been working to make it possible for you to participate as well. So if you're not on the physical campus, there's still two ways for you to participate. You'll be able to watch, like you are right now, um, whenever you're able to tune in. Do the same activities, talk about the same questions with the people that you're with. You may be a person who watches together with two or three or four people. Sometimes I get pictures of like a whole family watching together and I, lo I love it when that happens. Or you may not have anybody else around you. So there's gonna be another way for you to participate as well. Um, we're, we're gonna publish a Zoom link. And if you want to be in a virtual room with people that you may very well not know, I don't know, because I don't know who'll be there, but if you wanna be in a virtual room, you'll be able to do that. Now we're not gonna be able to see you, so it's not like you're gonna be broadcast around the world or anything. You'll be in your own virtual room where with those people you can talk about the same questions that we're talking about around tables here. So it's gonna be a great opportunity. If you're somebody who listens to me teach on Sundays or on Wednesdays and you think you got all these thoughts running through your head that you love to be able to talk to somebody about, this is exactly what you wanna be doing. We're gonna be talking um, on Wednesday night about the scripture that I'm about to teach about on Sunday morning. So put that on your calendar. It's gonna be a good time. We're kicking off a new Sunday morning children's ministry on, on the first Sunday in September. And so if you're interested in volunteering to be a part of that, please let us know. Best way to do that is through the app or just talk to anybody in our family ministries team and we'd love to get you connected. All right, today I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking with you about gratitude and stewardship. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Melt us and mold us and fill us and use us. But Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Amen. Most of you are gonna know that this is Kate's favorite service. So Kate likes to come to this service and she also likes to come on Wednesday evenings. She's not here this week because she went to go visit a, a very dear friend of hers, somebody that she worked with. Uh, Kate used to work for the Oklahoma United Methodist Annual Conference and she had a great friend there named Andrea. They both moved on to other places. Kate works in talent acquisition again. Um, Andrea went on to be the business administrator at Asbury United Methodist Church in Tulsa. And so they've, they've maintained a close friendship. Well, Andrea had just moved into a new apartment and she got this new guest room ready. She's been decorating different parts of her apartment. And so she finally got this guest room ready and she uh, messaged Kate and was like, hey, you've got to come and see this. So Kate's like, okay. So Kate went over uh, yesterday. They had dinner together last night. Kate uh, spent the night in the guest room in Andrea's apartment and was going to church with Andrea this morning before she drives back. Today is Chris's birthday. Now, if uh, you haven't met Chris yet, Chris belongs with Megan. They've been together now for almost a year and a half, which just blows my mind to think about that. But today is his birthday, and so we're celebrating together with Chris, um, and we're gonna, Kate's gonna be back in time to do that. So she's attending church elsewhere this morning. Uh, Chris and Megan are getting ready for the celebration that they're gonna have, and I realized that last night, because Kate had already gone out of town, uh, and Megan and Chris were supposed to be celebrating some, some, you know, Chris's birthday, I had nothing to do. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with myself, right? So I start thinking, because I had all this time on my hands. I wasn't cooking. I love to cook, right? I loved cooking is a, an opportunity for me to create. It de-stresses me. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to see that's the only thing I really ever post on Instagram are cooking pictures and pictures of my dogs, right? And so if you follow me there, that's probably because you like those things. So I, I normally cook, and I like to cook for people. It's really tragically difficult 
to cook for one person. That's really hard to do. I, there's some, anyway, I'll get into that on another Sunday. So I'm like, what am I going to do tonight? Because I have all this time. And then I realized that I could go to my favorite, one of my favorite foodie places. You may not know this. Kate and I consider ourselves to be foodies. Oklahoma is, uh, has been listed and ranked very highly as a city with a lot of craft foodie options around the metro. We were just listed, I think, in the last census I, I read as the 22nd largest city in the United States. And that's up from, like, I think we were number 30 or 31 10 years ago, something like that. But in the meantime, you know, the, we've been working on the infrastructure, and um, I know how frustrating that is because every time, every time I drive around uh, the Oklahoma City metro area, which Kate and I will do because we want to try all of the cool craft foodie places. We love going there. I'll post about them from time to time. We'll take pictures of things that we eat together. Um, but it's hard to get there because as our city has been growing, you probably you don't know this if you're tuning in from some other place, place, we're doing all the road work, right? Like all over the metro, all the road work is happening. And so I'm simultaneously really excited that all of this road work is going on and also really frustrated that all of this road work is going on because it's so hard to drive places. In fact, uh, Penn Avenue, which is right outside, right, our church is on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue here in South Oklahoma City, and they've been working on repaving that road, which I'm so grateful for because there is a, a pothole that develops every single time it rains in front of a church right down the street that shall remain nameless. And I, I can't seem to remember that this pothole is there, right? Like it's been there. I've been here for five years and that pothole I think has been here since way before I was here. I drive this road literally every day, but for some reason I can't remember the potholes there after it rains and I hit it like dead on every time. And now they're in the process of repaving that road and I'm so excited about it and I'm also simultaneously so annoyed that they're doing all the road work and I can't get around the Oklahoma City metro area. So Kate and I will drive to all these little foodie places. We have a great time doing it. The thing is, Kate needs variety and I am a creature of habit. So when I find one of our favorite little foodie places, I could go to the same place over and over and over again, and I have a tendency to want to do that. Kate likes to try different places. So my favorite pizza place, called Pizzeria Gusto, right? It's up north around, around the place Kate used to work when she worked for the Oklahoma Annual Conference. And so um, Kate and I found this a while back. We've been several times because I'm a creature of habit and Kate loves me, so she, she lets me go several times. But a while back she said, you know, Matt, I need some more variety. We need to try some other places. So we hadn't been there in a while, hence my story. I'm sitting there last night and I realized that I have all this time that I have to fill all by myself. What am I going to do? I was like, I'm going to go to Pizzeria Gusto. So I get ready, I get in my car, and I start uh, get, getting ready to back out of the garage, and I realize that Megan's car is still there. And I thought she was going to go and do something with Chris to celebrate his birthday. So um, because it's, you know, uh, the day and age that it is, and also I'm probably lazier than I'd like to admit, instead of getting out of my truck, I called Megan from my truck, who was inside of the house. And I was like, hey, are you still here? Stupid question, because I could see her car. It's like, are you still here? And she's like, yeah, Dad, I'm still here. I thought, I thought you were going to do something. Well, it didn't work out, so on and so forth. And I'm like, okay, well, um, I was going to go to Pizzeria Gusto. <laughs> do you want to go? She's like, no, Dad, I'm tired of going there. And I was like, okay, well, how about this? What if I change plans and I go get something, I cook something, and, and uh, make it for us? She's like, yeah, Dad, that'd be great. Okay. So I go to the store, decide that I'm going to make steaks. It's Saturday night. Love having steak on Saturday. I don't know why, but I love having steak on Saturday night. So I get some steak. 
and some sausage. This is all over my Instagram and Facebook, so you can go look at it. And I, I decide I'm going to make steak and sausage with a gorgonzola cream sauce that I absolutely love to put on it, some sautéed broccolini, which tastes a lot better than it sounds, especially if you sauté it in, you didn't know you were going to get all this this morning, especially if you sauté it in the bacon grease from the bacon that you cooked for the Irish nachos that you're going to make as an appetizer, right? So I get all of the things for this, and I, I come back home, and I'm starting to work on it. Bobby Flay says that you cannot oversalt or pepper a steak. One of these days, he's going to tune in, and I'm going to get a message from him after having said it's going to change my whole life. But anyway, Bobby said, you can't oversalt or pepper a steak, right? So I get my steaks. They're in that butcher paper that they come in, and I unwrap them on my counter, and I cover them in salt and pepper, turn them over, cover them in salt and pepper, and then I'm going to let that sit for a little bit while I go and work on the Irish nachos. The Irish nachos are on another part of the counter. My steaks are on a different part of the counter, closer to where Gus is. Gus and Abby are inside of the house. I mean, if I'm in the house, Gus and Abby are in the house. Uh, Gus is my, uh, my dog. Abby's, I guess Abby's also my dog. Gus is a, a pit bull black lab mix. Abby is a blue healer pit bull mix. They're the sweetest dogs in the world. I love having them around. So every time I cook, uh, Gus and Abby are both going to be in there. They both have their spots, you know, where they sit and where they lie down and they watch. Now I have this thing, and Kate tells me that I shouldn't do this with them because I'm teaching them bad habits, right? My veterinarian tells me that I shouldn't be doing this because it's not very healthy, but for some reason, I cannot stop myself from feeding them as I'm cooking, right? So I'll be making something, and if they can eat it, I'll throw a little piece of it down, making some bacon. I'll take it off, let it cool, break it in half, throw it down, and let them have some. Turns out they both absolutely love Parmesan cheese. Who would have guessed? I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know that. So we've gotten used to this. You can see where this is going, right? Here I am, Abby, now Abby is smarter than Gus, and so she's just going to watch this whole thing unfold, right? I'm at one counter working on my Irish nachos, and I notice that Gus is not in his place where he likes to lay down on the ground. He's in another place, and he's chewing feverishly on something that I soon realize is one of my steaks, right? I don't know how he got it but he managed to get up onto the counter and without disturbing the paper or any of the other steaks, he grabbed one and got down on the floor. He was chewing it feverishly. So naturally, upset as I was, I yelled at the top of my lungs. Abby's just watching the whole thing unfold. I was like, Gus, no, what are you doing, right? Gus immediately looks at me and stops. I mean, he knows he's in trouble. Right? He immediately looks at me, and he kind of slinks away from the steak. But he stopped chewing on the steak immediately. Slinks away from the steak, back to the place where Gus lays down when Gus is in trouble. Right? And so Gus, he's sitting there, and I'm upset, you know, because I just lost a steak. Right? Steaks, uh, the price has gone down a little bit, but they're still expensive, and so I can't salvage this thing, and I refuse to let Gus eat the rest of it. So I take the steak, and I dispose of it, all while trying to give Gus the, the, the most angry look that I can conjure on my face, right? I'm, I'm practicing, like, as I'm getting, I'm so mad. And I, as I'm picking up the steak, I'm practicing my angry look, right? Because Gus and I communicate through our eyes. And so I'm practicing my angry look, and I look up at Gus, who's laying in the place where he lays, and I, I see his eyes. And he's so sad. You know? He feels so bad. 
And the minute I, I, the minute I look into his eyes, I, dog's eyes are so, so expressive. Truth is, human eyes are also incredibly expressive. And so I look at him, and he feels terrible. And I can see as all of this is unfolding, right, and I'm reaching down to get my steak off the floor and then clean up this mountain of salt and pepper that was on my steak when it hit the floor, I can hear Kate's voice in the back of my head saying, Matt, this is your fault. You're the one that taught him to eat while you were cooking. You literally taught him to do this. I may have, at one point in the evening, text Kate and said, hey, you know, Gus may have gotten one of the steaks off the counter and chewed it up on the floor. Kate messaged me back and was like, hey, Matt, this is your fault. You're the one who taught him how to do this, right? So all this is happening while I'm down there. I get up and I, and I get disposing of this steak, and I look at Gus with my angry face on and with my angry eyes. And, and when I look at him, he looks so incredibly sad. And in that moment, I see the same eyes that I see when I'm experiencing one of the worst moments that I ever experience. And it changed how I saw Gus. No longer was I his owner who was upset with him for doing something he shouldn't have done. But the dog looking back at me was a friend who at every available opportunity has chosen to love me. Here's what I mean. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with combat-related post-traumatic stress disorder. I had been on the receiving end of artillery fire, and it stuck with me. I remember being in that place, and not really, even while I was, I was doing what I'm grateful that I'd been trained to do, I was trying to process what was happening. I remember not understanding why it looked like the ground was shooting up into the air. I remember how it smelled. I remember how it sounded. I remember how it felt. And I remember what I was thinking as I was going through that. I didn't realize when I got back from that that some of what I was experiencing was related to it. There, there would be times where uh, a loud, uh, explosive kind of noise would catch me off guard. And I would literally uh, just have to sit in one spot and regain my composure before I could process and function again. And there was a point at which Kate said, you know, Matt, this might be related to PTSD. You should go talk to somebody. So I did, and I was diagnosed. And when I was uh, talking to somebody and I was diagnosed with that, they said, you know, there's a, there's a great, um, there's a great uh, amount of research about a positive connection between people who struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, support animals of varying kinds, dogs probably being at the top of the list. You should consider going to get a dog. And so I talked with Kate about it. We decided that we would. You know, the, you know, some of you know the story of us getting Gus. Kate looked. I'd had a dog in the past, and he passed away, and I was never going to get another dog, right? Because there was no other dog. 
Kate said, Matt, you should probably consider doing this. And so she looks at the Oklahoma City shelter, um, finds a, a black lab that looks like might be a good fit. We go down to the shelter. There's like room after room after room after room of dogs. We find this dog, and when we get down, uh, you know, to kind of get close to the crate, that, uh, the kennel that the dog is in, the dog starts growling. I get up, I get back down, the dog keeps growling. We know this isn't going to be a good fit. I take this as a sign that I shouldn't get another dog. And I'm like, Kate, I, we just need to go. And Kate's like, Matt, why don't we walk through one of the other rooms? And Megan was there, and she's like, yeah, Dad, let's just walk through. So I said, okay, and we walked through the other, one of those rooms, and in one of the kennels, there is Gus. And he's got, he's got Gus's eyes. He's just looking at me with these calm, uh, loving, caring eyes. I took him out to play with him just a little bit, see if he was going to be a good fit. He was really calm, really docile. I didn't know at the time, also really sedated because he just had a surgery. But I was like, this is the calmest and most, this is the best dog ever. We're going to take this dog home, right? So we did. His sedation eventually wore off. But he um, would always do this thing. Gus has this annoying love of tummy rubs. And so he'll come over wherever I am, and he'll stand there for me to put my hand on him. As soon as I start petting him, he'll start slinking down to the ground, and then he'll roll over, you know, hoping that I'll rub his belly, right? Except for when he can tell that I'm struggling with post-traumatic stress. When that happens, I'll sometimes especially if I'm away. One day, I was at work and a transformer exploded. It was a loud, sudden noise, and I realized I was going to need some time to compose myself, and so went home, sat in my chair in a safe space, and waited for that to pass. When that happens, Gus figures it out. From wherever he is in the house or outside, I don't know how he knows, but he knows immediately. He's never failed to immediately walk up to my side. And instead of, he'll stand there and he'll let me put my hand on the back of, on his back or on his neck, which helps to ground me in that place. He won't slink down because he knows what's going on. So instead, he'll sit and then after a moment, he'll place his head right on my lap and then look at me until I start to feel better. He does that every time. Every single, Gus, in every one of those moments, which as you can imagine, are difficult moments for me, Gus has never failed to either recognize it or respond with a heart full of love. So there I was, trying to look at Gus with my angry face. And Gus is looking back at me with the same eyes that Gus looks at me with when his head is resting on my lap. I could no longer see him as something that I owned that had made a mistake. Because those were the eyes of a friend who chose to be there for me every time I needed him to be. and whose relationship with me is one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. One of the ways to begin to live a life that is motivated by love. You hear me teach that a lot. 
do one thing every day to share the love of Christ with one person. Love should be our first response to any circumstance. Well, Pastor, I don't think I'm there yet. No, I get that because you've also heard me say that it's all right to not yet be what you are becoming. But part of what we're becoming as we're being healed and transformed by the love of Christ are people in whom that love is overflowing so that as we continue to become what we're being drawn toward, as we continue to take steps toward what Christ is helping us to become even as we're healing and being transformed, we take steps toward becoming the kind of people who love proactively, which means that our first response is a response of love. How do you do that? The scriptures have several bits of advice, several instances where there are teachings about this. How do you begin? How do you start to make that transition from living a life uh, with a heart that can so easily be filled with bitterness that comes from erecting walls that are designed to protect you from the wounded ethic of a broken world. How many times have we talked about that? How do you move from that to an ethic of love? One of the teachings comes about how to do that comes in this letter to the church in Ephesus where Paul says, give thanks to Christ in, in everything, about everything. Give thanks to Christ in everything. Be thankful for everything. When I'm living according to the wounded ethic of a broken world and I've been wounded and I've got walls up to protect me from the effects of that ethic and my heart has grown bitter or hardened because of how I've been treated and what I've needed to do in order to survive life, then the idea that gratitude is a bridge to living a life of love sometimes may logically seem okay, but, but in the terms of how I feel, it can feel like it's a bridge too far. Why? Because I don't always feel grateful. I don't always feel like giving thanks. And I don't mean that as a metaphor. I don't always feel grateful. I was feeling a lot of things when I saw Gus chewing on my steak. Gratitude was not one of them, not immediately. Here's the thing. Paul says that when we give thanks to God and Christ for everything, it begins to reorient our hearts. Christine Pohl, uh, Dr. Christine Pohl is a world-renowned ethicist who spent her entire life studying the habits of healthy communities and unhealthy communities of varying kinds, shapes, sizes, and ha that have coalesced around different issues. She said in her research that one of the key characteristics of a healthy community is an ethic of gratitude because gratitude leads us to hearts that are full of love. It's very difficult, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, to be upset with someone for whom you are regularly giving thanks because the more you give thanks for someone, the more your, 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 the way that you view them tends to reform itself and you begin to see them the way that God sees them, which is often as a person in whom God's love is also at work, helping them to heal and helping them to transform, even if they're on a different 
different spot of that journey, a different part of that journey than you are. Gratitude is a bridge to living a life that is motivated by love. But how do you do that? How do you choose to be grateful when, being, when you don't always feel grateful? How do you choose to be grateful for things that have hurt you or in circumstances where you're facing trials and tribulations? That's why this passage, though it's about gratitude, I think is really about stewardship. That's a word we don't really use unless we're using it in the context of a church. Churches have stewardship campaigns or stewardship focus month or something like that. And so because of that, much like repentance, stewardship has sort of come to be synonymous with something it doesn't actually mean. For instance, when I talk about repentance, if you're not careful, you'll over-associate repentance with forgiveness. doesn't mean the same thing. Forgiveness is forgiveness. Repentance means literally to change the direction that you're going. Stop going this way and go this way. Stewardship is the same thing. We'll often over-associate stewardship with giving, charitable giving or making a donation. That's not what it means at all. To be a steward is to be responsible for something that you do not own. To be a steward is to be responsible for something that you have been gifted You are a steward of your life. Nothing that we have originates with us. Every single thing that we have is a gift from God. Oh, pastor, I earned what I have. I'm not trying to take that away from you. It's just that every single thing that's here, everything you can touch, everything you live in, every single part of creation was created by God and gifted in various capacities to us. There's not a one of us that has the ability to create something out of nothing. Don't get me wrong, I can take two things that already exist, or several things that exist and turn them into something. But I can't make something out of nothing. In order for that to happen, God had to intervene. So theologically, the term for that is creation ex nihilo. It means to make something out of nothing. God is the one who is responsible for what I have and for what you have. Everything we have is a gift, which means that you're a steward of your life. Your life is a gift. You're not responsible for the origin of your life. Your relationships are a gift. Your resources are are a gift. The spiritual gifts you've been given are a gift. Every time Christ teaches about gifts, every time Christ teaches about stewards or stewardship, Christ teaches about how the central ethic behind being a steward is that you look at something differently when you see it as something that you have been gifted with as opposed to something that you own. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who see themselves as monarchs and people who see themselves as stewards. One of my favorite uh, fantasy series of all times is J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. 
the last book of which is titled The Return of the King. There's a scene in that book, and also in the movie that was made about the book, in which one of the main characters approaches someone who's been serving as a steward of the kingdom because the line of kings has been broken and the kings are gone. The steward doesn't sit on the throne. The steward sits on a chair at the bottom of the throne or at the bottom of the stairs that lead to the throne. But the steward has taken ownership of the kingdom to the point that when one of the main characters comes back to prepare the steward for the return of the king, hence the title, the, one of the main characters looks at that steward and says, you know, the, essentially, the king is going to return. In some version of that, you should go read the story, but that's essentially how it works out. The steward kind of calls him on it and says, we don't need a king. This place doesn't need a king at all. The main character looks back and says, listen, steward, it is not within your wherewithal to prevent the return of the king. You don't have that authority. There are two kinds of people in the world. People who see themselves as monarchs and people who see themselves as stewards. What is the difference? The difference is people who see themselves as monarchs approach the things in their lives as if they own them, as if they possess them. Their relationships, their resources, the people in their lives. Whereas those who see themselves as stewards approach their life and everything in it as if it is a gift. One that they will eventually return or pass on. And as is the case with the teachings of Christ about stewardship, you find this in the parables of the talents. One of the central ethics of a life of stewardship is that we return what we've been given or pass on what we've been given. How does that work? You are a steward, for instance, if you have children of the relationship that you have with your children. You know, there never comes a point in life in which children become too old to still benefit from the affirmation and support of their parents. What you invest in your children is not something that you're going to return or will be returned to you. It's something you'll pass on. So the central ethic of stewardship, based on what you're talking about, is that you've been given a gift, and that gift is either going to be returned, like your life, or it's going to be passed on, like your relationships. But either way, no matter which way you look at that, whether the gift that you've been given is going to be returned at some point or passed on, one of the central ethics of Jesus' teachings about stewardship is that what you've been given should be returned or passed on in a state that it's better than what was given to you. Why is this passage about stewardship? Because when you choose to see yourself as a steward of your life, as a steward of your marriage if you're married, as a steward of your children if you have children, as a steward of your relationship with your parents, as a steward of the friendships that you've been blessed with, as a steward of the opportunities that you have to use the gifts that you've been given or to reconcile with those whom you have hurt or been hurt by, when you begin to see your life as something that is a gift to you, then it becomes much easier to develop and cultivate a heart of gratitude. It is so much easier to be grateful for a gift that was freely given, always given freely because gifting is not something that can be earned or deserved. If that's the case, it's not a gift. 
And so when a gift is given, a gift is given out of love. When your life is a gift given to you out of love and you see it that way as a steward of it, then it's far easier to be grateful for it as opposed to feeling entitled to it. When I can feel grateful for something, that's why stewardship is connected with gratitude. When I look at my life as if it is a gift, I am a steward of my life. When I look at my relationship with my spouse as if it is a gift, it becomes much easier to be grateful for her and for the time that we have together as opposed to feeling entitled to what I think I deserve. Here's the thing. When I begin to make that shift and I choose to see my life that way, my relationships that way, we've gone through all that. When I choose to see those things in that way, it becomes easier for me to give gratitude for them. So here's what you do. First, begin to shift your perspective. Begin to take seriously the idea that nothing you have originates with you. Everything you have is a gift. When you begin to shift that perspective, and that is as simple as reminding yourself of that, going to the place where you pray and asking God, asking God to allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of that throughout your day, then in that place where you pray, it will be much easier to be thankful for the things that you see as a gift. Go to the place where you pray, sit down, and as a part of your prayer time, give thanks to God. There are two essential characteristics of gratitude that make it valid and helpful. One is to recognize what you have to be grateful for. The other is to express it. When you start by recognizing what you have to be grateful for, and then in a place where you pray, begin by expressing your gratitude to God. And you're going to find that that reorients your heart and it begins to help you to see other things that have been given to you as a gift that you are a steward of that you can be grateful for. And you'll give thanks to God for those things. And then, that will change a couple of things. One is that you'll start feeling more comfortable expressing gratitude to other people as well. And the second is that as you do, you're going to see how much that changes them and those around them and their relationship with you. Gratitude is powerful. And it comes how you choose to see your life. That was a lot to process while I was kneeling down looking at Gus with my angry face. I went and grabbed some bacon. He had to have seen that I felt like super guilty at this point. He had, so I went up and I grabbed some bacon and I went to go sit next to him in his spot in the kitchen where he lays down. I sat down on the, the ground, broke the bacon in half, and we ate together. Choose to see your life as a gift. And what you're going to find is that you will begin to love people, things, and opportunities that were previously very difficult for you to love. You'll begin to cherish things that you had previously used. And you'll find that as you reorient your heart to be a heart of gratitude, 
you'll end up contributing to what you had previously consumed. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful that you are a God who heals us from the inside out. There's so much, God, for us to be grateful for. We're so grateful because we know that nothing we have originates with us. Everything we have is a gift from you, and that includes our very lives. God, help us to have the courage to begin to be people who are grateful for the gifts that we've been given, who see our life, who see our lives as a gift from you, and respond to that gift in gratitude that seeks to be good stewards of the lives we've been given so that what is passed on from them is passed on in a better state than it was received in. And what is returned is returned having produced fruit. This we ask in your holy name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. As always, tune in next week. Thank you.